You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of the DIY Recording Guys podcast. I'm Vadim. And I'm Ben. It's How's going, it going, Vadim? It's going What's well. I, oh, I actually didn't tell you this offline, but I updated my computer to Windows 10. Did I tell you? Yeah. No, you it didn't. This is big. It was absolutely brutal. And and the um, <laughs> worth it in a lot of ways. But I'm 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 finding all these gremlins. Like I had probably a dozen different glitches going on with my Pro Tools. Weird things that are like just would drive me crazy because they just added up to, you know, small seconds adding up to minutes, adding up to hours. All of those are gone. 100% of them are fixed, but I have probably two dozen new glitches that I didn't even know were possible (laughs) facing with now. It's like upgrading (laughs) is really, it's it's such a dicey thing always. Um, But overall, I'm still glad I did it because now if people remember, I was complaining about this. Now I can use the latest version of Pro Tools. I can upgrade all my plugins to their latest versions. And I think overall it's been it's been positive. But um, man, what a headache. Every time I open a session, I still remember there's like four plugins I need to download and activate. Then I have to remember oh, yeah. where I bought them from and when and what email address I put in. Wow, it's um if if you're ever gonna do this, you really yeah, got that could to be a lot. um be diligent about making a list of like everything you want to reinstall. The other big thing, I lost all of my presets. Did not back up my my plugin presets, which oh, is kind yeah. of like I was, you know, it's not the end of the world. It's like a comedian when a comedian just throws away all their jokes and like start fresh every year. I feel like that <laughs> in a way. Like, all right, forget yeah. those presets. Clean slate. But some of them I do wish I had. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. Similar thing happened to me when I upgraded um, Virtual mm. Mix Rack from Slate because they came out with version 2.0. And I didn't even think about the fact that like there would be a potential for the new version to not be able to load old is that, presets. Is that true? So what I thought I could do was it happened in that instance. Oh, my God. So, yeah, it, it kind of sucked. But... Mm. Um, what I was trying to do, I don't know if Pro Tools has this feature, but you can copy plugin settings for whatever plugin you have in Studio One from one session and then open another simultaneously and click paste. As long as it's the same plugin, it will paste the settings. That's cool. And whenever I did that, because I figured I could just take the, I could take my old session info. And what would happen was whenever I took open the old session, it was saying that that plugin wasn't available. So it almost was like it was a completely new plugin instead of it just being an upgrade. Yeah. And I didn't anticipate ah, that that's being annoying. I, I did being, find a similar workaround you know, where, like, if issue. I open an old session, well, actually, if I open my template, in fact, whatever, or, or an old session, whatever plugin setting was there, I can save it, right, as a preset. So, right. Similar. I don't know about copy pasting. I haven't tried that, but yeah, you can. Anyway, there's some workarounds there. But um, the other thing I wanted to tell you about was you remember on our um, setting up a mixing room episode, I was 
I, I pulled up yes. some graphs of my room and I had this comb filtering in the upper mids. I was trying to troubleshoot that and I've been talking to Yesco Lohan about that a little bit. He suggested something. He was like, do three tests. Yesco is super scientific, which is why I love talking to him. He was like, take a baseline measurement, then put like a bunch of pillows or open face panels on top of your desk, take another measurement, then try to remove the desk out of the equation completely. So just physically move the desk, but have try to, you know, prop your speakers up on books or something and have them in the same locations and take a third measurement. I was, that one I couldn't do because it's, it's too much work. But I did do the, the pillow thing <laughs> yeah. and totally, he was totally right. Solved my comb filtering problem pretty well. So then I was like, okay, what do I do with this information? I actually took a big mirror, like one of those big mirrors you could buy at Target, and I put it on my desk so I can identify where the first reflection points are off of my desk. So I kind of knew approximately mm -hmm. where they were. And I just wanted to bring this up for people because I think I found some solutions that are pretty easy. The, the, there's, I would say, three solutions. The most elegant solution is to, if you can move your speakers a little bit farther back and just change that angle of reflection, then you can eliminate the reflection mm. completely. But a really cool solution that I found was if you, if you tilt your desk so that the back is higher than the front, so that the surface of your desk is maybe like five or six degrees, it basically redirects the reflections like under your ears. That's a really creative solution. So are you able to lift only the back legs or did you just put Good question. Underneath. So my desk, I, I wasn't really um, comfortable doing that. So I thought, well, I could do one of two things. One is I could um, just get like a board. I could make like a little board that I set on top of my desk only when that critical listening is is important. The thing that sucks is it covers my, my mm -hmm. MIDI controller, my keyboard. Or what I did actually, what I've been yeah. doing is um, I just took some some of these crappy foam wedges from Amazon and I taped them to like, <laughs> yeah. I glued them to like some poster board and I just, I can just, okay. it's very light. So I just set it up on here and I actually did the testing. It, it helps a lot because even though it's so thin, right? Remember that episode is, you know, you can only get up to like the upper mids with something that's this thin, but that's fine. That's where my comb filtering is and right. it does make it significantly better. I can actually tell the difference. I was listening to like guitar heavy music and I would like pick it up really quickly off the desk and I could hear the guitars change. That's so wild. Um, I was just looking at my desk while you were talking and I wonder if I'm getting some... I don't notice there being weird sounding guitars, so it's not like I have a problem. I, I don't think I would try changing anything, but the angle is right so that I should be getting a reflection mm. right off of my desk. Well, you, I'm just curious, like what does it sound um, like? What What is the comb filtering? How did you identify it? Okay, so the way I identified it was, first of all, I was like, the guitars just sound like they have holes in them. They just weren't like, they were kind of like, um, oh, you know, they, were, they weren't forward enough. And then I found that if I moved my head up and down, mm. I could change, you know, I could hear like a phase, almost like a phaser was on it. It was like a And I was like, that's oh, what did it. And yeah. I was like, that's gotta be, you know, a, a reflection that's happening. And, and um, but I didn't notice it. Then you realized you had a, you realized you had an instance of filter 
filter freak and yeah. it was just doing a yeah exactly that's kind of what it sounds like it's <laughs> subtle it's much more subtle than that and the sonar works does come combat it a little bit but okay you know it not as much because i could still like i said even with the sonar works running when i put this foam thing on my desk i'm like oh yeah that's it's better the guitar sound a little bit better it's not a huge deal it's a subtle difference ben so i wouldn't i wouldn't stress about it but I went deep. I went down the rabbit hole. So. Yeah. I think it's worth it, though, in your case, because if I notice something, like, just didn't sound right in my room, that's the one thing I'm most terrified about, like, moving spaces. Like, I'm so comfortable listening to music in here. I'm terrified of, like, going to what I think is a better space, and then, like, guitars just don't yes. sound right anymore. Yes. So I think if I was in your situation where, like, guitar which is your main instrument just doesn't sound right i probably would tear my hair out trying to figure out yeah why what it's led to is i'm, so I'm that's, working that's headphones more than i i used to good stuff man well what's uh cool man this, the idea for today's episode so why don't you introduce it yeah sure so today we're going to talk about reverb but in a different way we've talked about reverbs and delays um different spatial type of effects that we can put on uh, put on our tracks. But today I wanted to talk about uh, this article that I saw from ledgernote.com. Great article. Uh, the title of it is 13 Types of Reverb and When to Use Them. And this is a great title because I had no idea there were 13 different either. types of reverb. <laughs> I probably would have... I probably would have guessed, and like this is an expansive list. I think probably two or three of those you would never hear mentioned in like a real world application. But even there, I would have probably only guessed like oh, there's probably like five or six different kinds of reverb. I, I didn't think there would be thirteen. And so, what I did with this article was I read through the whole article. It's it's very interesting. Doesn't have necessarily a a ton of like. Uh, practical application. It's more of just like a heady uh, informational mm. type of article of like, oh, that's cool to know. I didn't know that before. I kind of want to take it in a different direction, use this article as like uh, a jumping off point to try to reverse engineer my brain. And I thought about the types of reverb I use in mm -hmm. different situations. And I tried to use this article to figure out why that makes sense to me or why I liked using ah. those reverbs in those contexts or situations. So that's kind of what I want to talk about today. And, you know, hopefully our listeners can learn something from that or maybe try something different if they're stuck in a rut, which is probably what I'm going to try to do because I just use. Well, that's what I was going to say, man. I'm glad we're talking about this because I am kind of a caveman when it comes to reverbs. And unlike... Unlike the Ledger Note <laughs> article, which I... <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am a cathedral man when it comes to reverbs. Um, oh, nice. Yes, unlike the Ledger Note article, which I also read and, and, and very much enjoyed, I think we will provide uh, some practical tips here. Now, Ledger Note is a fantastic website, and they do have some some more practical articles on reverb than than this one that you uh you forwarded to me but yeah let's get into it man just uh let's go through your talking points and and uh let's banter a bit reverb go cool let's do it so in general just uh talking from the article they 
separated all these 13 different types of reverbs into two main or three main different, I should say, categories of acoustic reverbs that come from a specific room that you're in. It's the it's the sound uh, propagating through the room and the way that we hear it. So there's acoustic reverb, there's mechanical reverbs, only two of which, which are replicated by vibrating either a sheet or a spring. And then there's digital reverbs, which are reverbs that are uh, produced in the digital domain, which by the way, all the reverbs that I'm pretty much using are digital reverbs. They're just digital representations of these acoustic right. and mechanical reverbs as well. Right. Okay, so our first type of reverb we're going to talk about is, uh, and these are all acoustic reverbs, is a room reverb. And what we mean by a room reverb is a small room, typically a bedroom or a living room, and it has the characteristic of a short decay and it's heavy on early reflections. So just imagine clapping or talking in a bedroom. Or, yeah, or like the, in the an empty room, you, those early you especially yeah. notice this. If you've ever been like apartment mm -hmm. hunting, if you walk into a room and you clap, you hear that the early reflection, the little like slap back, the metallic ringing, that's an early reflection and it decays very quickly. So you hear it, but it doesn't like, not like in a cave or a hall or like a concert hall, it doesn't, ring out for a long time no the tail is short it's short and tight yes uh second type of reverb is a chamber that's similar to a room but less color more thickness on the reverb tail and less early reflections mm. so we're getting in general just more reverb tail it's it lasts longer that reverb sound more transparent than a room yeah more transparent that's an interesting uh, I'll one keep that, going that one was the one in. that really caught my attention the most because i've never thought about it that way i've never i've always thought of a chamber as just a bigger room but this is a really nice description of it where if you think about mm -hmm. in a room like think about that empty room example if you've ever been talking to somebody in an empty room, it's lively, it's reverberant. Sometimes it's hard to distinguish what they're saying. Like the the early reflections can kind of clutter the sound a little yeah. bit. And I think what this is saying is in a chamber, it's a cleaner sound. Like the intelligibility of speech would still be very high, even though there's more of a of a decay time. You don't get those cluttered early reflections that make everything's so all, all, all sound like that it's kind of how i interpreted it what, what do you think that's a i like i like that i i hadn't given it that much thought but that makes sense to me it's it's almost like because you don't get those early reflections like you said there's you're not interfering with that legibility and those initial the initial volume peaks from the words instead you're hearing the quieter tail but that's not interfering with what the loudness of the transience of the words. I think that so. That's kind of how I interpreted it. Um, but yeah, go on. Uh, so next is a hall reverb, and we're talking something a little bit longer of a delay time, like two seconds. Which, by the way, is, it says it uh, in there. A lot it's a concert them. hall. But my whole life, I've thought about it like a hallway, and it never made sense to me. I was like, it's like a, a long hallway. hallway. <laughs> 
which makes no sense. And until I read that article, I was like, of course it's concert hall, you idiot. It's <laughs> telling yes. myself. So I admit no, that is, that's a good point. But would a would a hallway be more like? I mean, depending on where you mic'd in and where the sound source was, would that be more like a chamber or could it be more like a chamber? Mm. It's because it's like a tall, it would be like a, because I always imagine a chamber as being, and maybe this is wrong, but I imagine a chamber being like a small room, but it's got a That's what I, I always think of like a studio, so like, a, like a professional recording studio with a big live room. That's what I think of when I think of chamber, you know, studio A. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Same with me. So maybe a hallway would be more like that, but a concert hall is big. Which, and like you said, hall reverbs, like you're yeah, getting like a two second, sense. you know, roughly. This stuff is, there's gray areas, I would say, between these reverbs. But like, yeah, two yeah. seconds is a long decay time. That's something you can expect in a big space. Yes. Um, I thought this was interesting. I, I don't know if I've taken notice of this on plugin presets when I've been using it, but. In the article, they were saying that a lot of concert hall reverbs have pre-delay built into it. And if you don't know what pre-delay is, that is the amount of milliseconds of delay before the reverb actually starts yeah. happening. And that can be a nice that can be a nice effect because then you don't have all of the washiness of the delay getting in the way of the initial transient especially if it's a percussive or a instrument. vocal i mean we'll talk about this when we on the back end of this but yeah pre-delay super important parameter and the way to think of it is if you um if you're in a cave with your friend and your friend yells something you hear their voice right away and then sometime later you hear the echo that's an exaggerated pre-delay mm. but right like you said ben and most most of the times when we're talking about audio production our pre-delay is, is more like milliseconds which is subtle, but it makes a huge difference, which we'll we'll talk about towards the end. Uh, the next one is a cathedral, which is the greatest of all delays, or not delays. Agreed. We're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and this is really long delay time. We're talking in the realm of ten second uh, delay tails on these reverbs, uh, and also it's more wet than a hall reverb and has a thick smearing effect so your reverb can get out of control here if yeah it's, think of like a uh, if you have your mix set like up too high choir right when they they'll sing a note and mm -hmm. then yeah even like the, the even the bass frequencies will decay slowly over time it's very cool in a church but it is kind of smeary or can be anyway yeah mm-hmm uh, our next type, our fifth type of acoustic reverb is an ambient reverb. And this is the opposite of the direction we've been going. This is a very short decay tail, 0.5 seconds or less. And it has the most early reflections of all the ones we've talked about. It tends to be very dry, almost to the point where it's hard to tell that there's even a reverb there until you mute it, and then you realize, oh, there was reverb on this that. This one confused <laughs> me, man. I when I think of in my in my head when I'm talking to myself during a mix, and I think of ambient, I think of like a hall reverb. I think of like something that's in the background, washed out, 
and and what this is describing, what you just described as ambient yeah. reverb, that's for me like a, a tight room, a, t- a tight room reverb is how is what I would use for the mm-hmm. scenario you described. Yeah, I think it's a nomenclature. Maybe, maybe it wasn't named very appropriately, but I'm familiar with the term because I pay attention to like the preset ah. names, and I've noticed that the ambient reverbs that I've used are the opposite of what I would have assumed the name meant. Okay, I've not paid attention to that. <laughs> so uh, apparently, that's like that's like a known. Oh, I'm sure it is. System. I'm sure it reverbs. is. Yeah. Because I th- I think I agree with you. If I didn't know anything about reverbs or if I had to guess, which is the longest delay tail on any of these reverbs, I'd probably say cathedral or ambient. Yeah. Is what I would is what I would think, but apparently no, it's the shortest. <laughs> okay. Uh let's move on. So the next category is mechanical reverbs, and this first one is used or at least I use it a lot. It's called a plate reverb, and the way it's created is by vibrating a metal sheet kind of like a speaker cone is vibrated, and its characteristics are it has a very fast attack of early high-energy reflections. It's initially bright and then gets darker through the tail, and one way you can think about this, I think it's a little bit hard for me to picture it in my mind because I haven't listened to these songs or albums in a long time but the article said think of old pink floyd albums because they used a lot of plate reverb there's a a tendency if you think about our cave example again the echo that comes back to you is darker than the initial sound Mm. and there's some reasons we we all we will always talk about this low frequencies tend to travel better through complex spaces than high frequencies which gets tangled up and confused and get lost so that is a, a mm-hmm. uh, i would say a typical characteristic of larger spaces is that high frequencies tend to get a little bit lost low frequencies travel better when you talk about these these mechanical reverbs like a like a plate reverb it's actually much closer the high frequencies because it's a think about it's a conductive material it's literally a metal plate that you hook some electrodes up to and you're putting an audio signal through them and then on the other side of the plate you're recording what's coming out so it's the sound vibrations traveling Mm. through the metal which is a very conductive um, material so it, it the high frequencies actually travel quite well through it and so that's what you're describing there is where the high Mm. frequencies kind of get there at the same time as the low frequencies. And so your initial reverb response is much brighter, which makes sense why people like to use plate reverbs on things like snare drums, because you get that boom, you get that bright reverberation. But then what you're saying, and I hadn't thought about this part of it, is that the tail tends to be darker. So that initial high frequency energy still dissipates quickly through the plate, I imagine. And so so you get a, a bright initial uh, early reflection, so to speak, and then the tail is darker, which I never quite formulated it that way in my mind, but that is very cool. Yeah. Very helpful. I never thought about it either, but it makes so much sense, and it's a it's a creative way of solving it. It's a creative way of solving that problem of wanting a longer delay or a larger room sound 
but you still want the brightness of a smaller room and it kind of gives you the best of both worlds yes. in that scenario. Yeah, that is um right, if that's, if that's what, what you're, you're looking, looking for. for. And in general, I think I find that plate reverbs especially on transient sources, they tend to add brightness. So if you're sending a lot of stuff to a plate, I mean, it depends on the plate hmm. and, and how you EQ it, but in general, yeah. it, it's a good way to make things brighter. Whereas when I think of like making things darker, I think of like a hall or like a cathedral, right? And that's how you can add some darkness to it. Yeah. The second mechanical reverb is called a spring reverb. And I like how the article is basically like, this has no purpose. Don't even don't even worry about I it. But <laughs> that, the, the, yeah. So this is um the description that the article gives is that it's it's created by a vib literally a vibrating spring, the same way that a plate is vibrating, but instead of a plate, it's a spring. It's got a very metallic character and these are my own notes i said think weird guitar effects sci-fi movies from like the what 50s or 60s that's what i think of when i think of like some kind of weird guitar springy yeah type of reverb but not not in any like <laughs> but not used in in a like a song aspect kind of a way used as more of a texture mm. A texture or a sound There's effect. A couple of things I'll say about spring reverb. And I'll, 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 I'll preface this by saying I have almost never found a use for spring reverb practically in a mix, but <laughs> I think of a couple of things. One is the first guitar amplifier I ever had as a kid. I was 13 years old. I just got a guitar. My dad brings home a Squire practice amp. A little tiny guy. It's got a little reverb knob on it, and it was a spring reverb. And when you hit it with your fist, it would go. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know exactly. Yeah, because the spring about. will actually vibrate and make noise. And and for me at the time, it was like, yeah, just a hair of this because it sounded weird and different. I was like, oh, this is cool. It's a little weird and different. But there is a, a practical thing, two practical things about spring reverb. One is what you said. It's that super bluesy, janky guitar sound. Like if you just have a <laughs> filthy like Jack White pentatonic solo spring reverb could be cool for that another practical thing to think about is a, unlike a plate where you can you can have a stereo effect on a plate reverb you can have a left and a right channel you have a big plate you can pick up sound from two different mm. corners of the plate a spring reverb is one dimensional sound goes in one end of the spring comes out the other end of the spring so it's a mono reverb and that mm. tends to have some practical applications in a mix. If you don't want to clutter your stereo field with a bunch of reverb, you can use something like a spring reverb, which is mono and just down the middle. And again, it's a wonky effect. So you got to use it uh, sp sparingly. Really and I never found a use for it, but you might. <laughs> if I still had a little amp, I would sample that, just hitting it with the fist and going. <laughs> I feel like that could be. You know what else? You know what else I think of? Have you ever seen those like stupid microphone plastic toys yeah. that kids have? It's like literally a spring reverb to create oh, that it? weird sound. Okay. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's just springs inside, and that's what makes that like wonky yeah, sound. Yeah, yeah. So okay. it's the same kind right. of same difference. Okay, let's move on to we've got one, two, three, four, five, six left, and these are all digital reverbs, so ones that can only be created in a computer. Um, the first one they talk about 
is convolution reverb. And that is an actual recording of an acoustic space that is captured and used to create an algorithm that emulates that space digitally. And the most, I think the most important mention uh, or the most important use of this is to play back IR responses. We use convolution reverbs all the time, but normally they're built into plugins. Yeah. We just so yeah, convolution, convolution reverb, reverb is is an emulation of an acoustic space. It's the same way we talk about with if yeah. you have a amp sim uh, amp sim plugin that's emulating an amp and a mic in a space. This is uh, emulating a room, and what they actually do is they literally will set up microphones in like a space or a room, and then they fire like a starter pistol, something that's like you know very transient. They record the response. And yep. then they create a mathematical model of that response, which then allows you to put any audio into that mathematical response and get the output of the room. So they're cool. I mean, you could get convolution reverbs of like Abbey Road Studio, right? And be like, okay, now my guitar mm. is recorded where the Beatles recorded. Awesome. They tend to be a little CPU hungry yeah. and um, some of them are pricey as well. But um, yeah. Cool. It's a cool technology. I would say this is weird because it's like, yes, it's a digital technology, but it's really it, it, it's emulating an acoustic space, right? Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, okay. The next type is a bloom yeah, no, reverb, that. and that has the characteristic of um, I. I don't think I have either. This is. I feel like this is similar to shimmer without the. Uh, pitch shifting is the way I would describe it. But um, it's low on early reflections and grows in intensity throughout the tail. I may have used some bloom reverbs before. What's a plugin that does bloom reverb? Because I'm actually interested in this effect. A thing I'm working on right now, actually, I'm like, oh, that could be that could be cool. I think that Valhalla oh, yeah? DSP, um, I think there might be some like bloomy type settings in there, but they're not called bloom reverbs. I'm thinking so like I'm if I were sure. going to do that, what I would do is automate the send to the reverb, right? Start it low and then automate it mm. up and back down, automate it up and get that bloom on specific notes. I wonder I wonder if there's any difference in it than than doing it I that know. way. Yeah, I have no idea. Question. Okay, moving on then. Uh, our third type of digital reverb is a shimmer. I love shimmer reverbs. Um you can think the big sky by who makes big sky that's like the first shimmer i can oh, think of i'm going to uh, look it up real quick yeah something with an m strymon uh, no strymon oh, it's got an m in it <laughs> yes yeah um <laughs> yeah strymon's big sky reverb is has like awesome shimmer yeah. effects and what a shimmer is, it's a normal reverb that's passed through multiple pitch shifters. So you get this like really cool evolution of harmonic content that's not in the original signal that happens in the delay tail. Yeah. Picture your living room and then somebody just dumped a whole bag of glitter all over it. The next type of reverb is a gated reverb. And yeah. I don't really use these at all that I can think of, but they're super popular in 80s drums and in like... Uh, new 80s wave electronic or like, rock music. Born in the USA, radio, right? Big gated yeah. reverb on the snare. Um, it's a... Yeah. 
and then <laughs> get a big reverb and then it suddenly it just yeah, sounds I wrong sound. i hate that sound yeah you know and i'm hearing now like <laughs> okay that's a very 80s thing and now people are starting to be like no this actually can be cool there's a use for it but i'm still like no i don't like it <laughs> okay our fifth moving on to our fifth digital reverb we've got reverse reverb I honestly didn't know that this was a thing, but reverse reverb is basically you take a normal reverb and you flip it so that the tail happens first and you move it forward so that it's basically like a riser that goes up to the yes. initial hit. Love that. And and then the last type, which is almost a throwaway uh, category again, but it's non-linear reverb and that's basically any reverb that decays in a non-linear fashion so similar in sound to a gated reverb because a gated reverb is a non-linear delay if you think about it it doesn't just tail off it just ends so i can't even go i can't even begin to imagine what other non-linear reverbs sound like because i don't use them but they exist apparently so i just yeah you can do cool stuff um you could do this manually with any reverb if, for example, you automate a mute or you put a gate on it, right? Which is what a gated reverb mm. is. But you can have like a regular hall reverb and then just write an automation so that it suddenly mutes, you know, and that you could that effectively would be a nonlinear reverb or a gated reverb that you created. Yeah, you could you could do stuff like that and it could be cool. Again, I'm kind of a caveman when it comes to reverb. I, I don't. I, okay. I use, I keep it pretty simple in my process, but I will tell you just, there's, let me see how many I have here. One, two, three, four, five. I have five different ways of thinking about reverb. So case number, case number okay. one is the most obvious one. It. That's me as a kid with my guitar amp. Reverb is an effect. It makes something sound different. You could turn it up and you could hit it with your fist, whatever. It does something cool. So that's the that's the way we all come into this world okay. thinking about reverb. It's an effect. All right, that's the easy one. Number two, these get more and more complex <laughs> awesome. and philosophical. Number two is it oh, can cool. be a stereo enhancing tool. So you can have an acoustic guitar that you recorded, let's say, with one microphone. So that's a mono source. It's come, you could put it somewhere in the stereo field. If you send that, or if you put a reverb on that, a stereo reverb, now you get a tail that spreads out across the stereo field. Now you have a guitar that is not in one spot in the stereo field. It's a little bit wider. Make sense? That's a great okay. use, yes. Let's, let's get weirder still. Number three, and this is yeah. probably our favorite, I'm guessing yours is probably one of your favorite ways to use reverb as well. Think about reverb as a lever that controls how close or far away something is from you in the mix. Okay, so more reverb, yeah. it's going to sound farther back in the mix. If it's less reverb, it's going to sound more in your face, closer to the mix. So if you have, think about you have pan knobs. Pan knobs control things from left to right. Reverb controls things front to back in a, in a manner of speaking. Yes. Okay. I agree with that. So let's get weirder still. Another way is this is kind of the, that ambient reverb you were talking about. It can add a subtle thickness 
or 3D quality to something. Um, so, for example, mm-hmm. like guitars, big honking rhythm guitars, a little short room reverb. Like you said, you can't tell it's there until you mute it. We'll just give it a little tiny bit of push-pull coming like in and out of the speakers a little bit. Just gives it a little bit of that 3D quality. Mm-hmm. And it's because of the early reflections, it also adds a little bit of that thickness kind of in the low mid-range, right? We yeah. talked about this. I think you yeah. said you don't actually do that on your yeah. rhythm guitars. I sometimes do it. I I used to more often. It I Okay. I don't like to. I like to keep them as dry as possible, but in some genres and in some songs, I will use it. Um, I feel like I tend to use it the most. We were actually just talking about this in one of my coaching communities that I'm a part of with other audio engineers. We were talking about when would you use a reverb on electric rhythm guitars? And I was just thinking hypothetically, and I don't know if this is necessarily true, so this would be interesting to pose to you as a question. I tend to feel like I like to reach for that reverb when the, um, let's say the guitars weren't recorded very well and they just sound too yeah. thin. Or if it's a really cheap uh, amp sim that doesn't have like a good mm. cab sim associated with it. So I'm almost trying to reach for the reverb to to make up for the lack of like cab girth. It's like simulating a cab yes. in a way is That's the way a great I like way of to looking think at about it. it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. The last cool. way I use a reverb, and this is the way that, as you say, Ben, you say, do you say it broke my brain or it broke something in my brain? What do you like to say? I say it broke it my bro- brain. It broke my brain. This <laughs> formulation, yeah. this is going to be like a mantra where I'm going to say it and people listening to this are going to be like, wait, what? But then... In a couple of days, you'll be like, oh, okay, I get it. So this is it. Don't think of reverb as an effect to put on something. Think of reverb as a space to put something into. Okay? And so what that. that means is if you have a bunch of stuff recorded and you get something like a room reverb and you send little bits of all of those recorded elements to that room reverb, you now make it sound like that was musicians in that room playing yeah. together and it's going to make it's going to add a level of cohesion to the recording that may not have been there where you had everything kind of dry and separate now it sounds like it's all in a space and so that could be a very cool thing for acoustic music um especially if you're like recording like indie songs punk songs or something like that and you're recording everything dry because most of us don't have nice sounding rooms in our homes or whatever in our practice spaces you can use this trick to make it sound like no it was actually a band in a nice sounding space i love it this is my favorite way to use reverb i i tend to not think about the um the distance associated with reverb i tend to think more of what space do Mm -hmm. i want elements to live in and even though I like to use, I probably use anywhere from three to five or six That's different reverbs per mix, okay. depending on the elements. It is a lot, depending on the elements that are in there. But I will also say the easiest way, and this is good practical information for our listeners, but the easiest way to start sounding like you have 
a better, more professional, more cohesive mix is just send all of your all of your elements, send it to the same reverb instead of every single instrument being a different reverb because you run the risk, not that it can't be done, but you run the risk of making it sound like every single instrument was recorded in a different room all, all across right. the planet. The way this came to me was I, I was watching some produce, some vocal producer. There was some kind of like weird vocal effect that like a super distorted vocal in one part of the song. And what he said was, he said, I'm going to give this its own reverb because I want to give it its own space. And that's what kind of clicked for me. Hmm. Uh, so the idea there is, like you said, if you send everything to one reverb, you're putting all of those things into the same space. But you may not always want to do that. You may want to take something like a vocal and, right. and give that vocal its own space. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I've got two additional okay. ones I'd like to add. Yeah, I was, and I'm literally just thinking about this off the top of my head. So, let me know what you think about these. But I would say, one of my favorite sayings going back is just like a funny one. I always like to say, "Reverb covers a multitude of vocal sins," <laughs> and so I like to. <laughs> sometimes I'll like to throw reverb on things, whether that's a lead guitar or a solo or a vocal that maybe is slightly yes, out of time. Okay, not bad enough that it needs to be edited, but enough that it kind of makes it vibey and cool whereas if it was dry it yes, just sounds wrong great great one great one so, so there, we've got that one and let me try to think of my other one. Oh, you kind of touched on this anyways with, with the cohesion but you could throw a single reverb on a on a master which i think i've only done like one or two times but reverb can help with gluing things together Totally. And making it sound Dude, more. I've done this in yeah, the more like, and it's a scary use. So the, yeah. and the, actually, now I understand after having read this article why it worked. But I had something. I had a mix to master, and the mix was very flat. Everything was just kind of two dimensional hmm. on it. And what I did was I used a hall reverb, but I made the decay. T so. The hallway reverb. No, I'm just playing. Yeah, the, I used the hallway <laughs> I just reverb. just said a hallway right. reverb. <laughs> but I made the decay time very, very, very short, which is unnatural for a hall. And then I just blended mm. it in very ever so slightly to just add a little bit of texture and three-dimensionality to it. But now, with this article, I understand why that makes sense. A hall reverb doesn't have a lot of early reflections, what it has is a, is, a, is more of a tail. Yeah. And I didn't want early reflections because I didn't want muddiness. What I wanted was just a little bit of a, a short tail, but a clean reverb is what I wanted. And that's why that made sense, I guess. It's a short haul. It just did the trick. I was just going through presets, presets, presets. I was like, this kind of works. And I tried it, and I was able to get it to work. And it, hmm. it, it did make a, a nice difference. And I, I love your thought press process of figuring it out too, which is the best way is that you used your ears. You didn't even know why it necessarily was working. And, and then you figured it out right. after the fact, which is the way we really should be figuring out what reverbs work on, you know, what elements we want to yeah, sound a certain way. That, that said, man, it's, this is, the reverb is still on my like to-do list to understand. Like we, we just did this whole episode, but it's still something where I feel I'm a little more haphazard with it than I ought to be 
You know, I I still will yeah, kind of just I, send I stuff get that. to reverbs like, and it works, and I'm like, yeah, that's better. But like, I'm not. I don't know if I'm intentional enough with it. <laughs> it's a work in progress. Um, two other parameters. Uh, I guess we're a little long here, but I did want to. Oh we, yeah, we, mentioned, we keep mentioning pre-delay. So pre-delay is. You can think of it kind of like you would think about an attack setting on a compressor where like if you want some of the transient to get through the compressor, you set a uh, slower attack. I kind of think of pre-delay the same way for a reverb where if I set a little bit of a pre-delay, I'm letting some of the dry vocal come through, like you said, before it reverberates. And what it does for something like a main vocal is it still allows the vocal to be upfront enough because sometimes you don't want to push a vocal back too much, right? If you just if you just if you had Absolutely. no pre delay, it would be too far away. With just like thirty milliseconds, play around with that. Like thirty milliseconds pre delay, it's enough to still keep that vocal upfront while giving it the the spaciousness. That's a great example and. I would suggest to people go listen to some of your favorite music or go listen through some different genres. Because if you listen to like a Lana Del Rey song, her vocals are slathered yeah. in so much reverb. But to make up, to compensate for that, all the other elements have to be slathered in reverb as well. Because otherwise, the vocal would be behind everything. Ah, good point. So they have to push all the other elements back to match with it and, and put it into the same space. Whereas if you take a rock song, even if there's reverb on it, you would have to put pre-delay on it because all the other instruments like okay. guitars and drums yeah. are so in your Very face. So you can do that. You can slather a vocal and a lot of reverb, but you have to make sure that it makes right. sense. Right, and well, some genres context. like a vocal that's very far far back anyway. Uh, so yeah, that can work occasionally. True. I don't work in those genres. <laughs> yeah, me but. neither. The other um, <laughs> two things, oh, we already talked about the case. So really the only other one I wanted to touch on is diffusion because that was something I was confused on for a very long time. Uh, some some reverbs have a diffusion mm. setting. And the way I would explain diffusion is if you look in a mirror, you see a very clear reflection of yourself. If you look into like one of those, like a fogged mirror or like a mirror that's um, frosted, you still see a reflection, yeah. but it, there's not, it's not clear. The lines aren't sharp and the lines aren't well-defined. So that second case is like diffusion. So if you turn up the diffusion, basically it's like sound is getting scattered and you're getting more washed out mm-hmm. uh, tail than you would with low diffusion where you're getting... Um, a clear tail. You can kind of, it's, it's a more intelligible tail. If, that if makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. I don't think I've ever used a plugin or a reverb plugin with that setting. Yeah, the, the Lexicon bundle does, I think, for not all of them, but, pretty, but a lot of them, you do have a diffusion from zero to 100%. Oh, cool. Very cool. I can think of one other thing I'd like to touch on. Um, when would you, so I'll ask you, and then we can talk about it, but when would you choose to put a reverb on an instrument as an effect versus do a FX send? Yeah, people How get all fired up about this on, on forums, I feel like. 
so there's there's a couple of reasons to do i think both are fine but to, if you use a reverb in an effects uh send so that you're sending stuff to it it's a more cpu efficient process because you have one reverb plugin and you're sending stuff to it it's a nice workflow you can send more or less so that that is one certainly one way to do it i would do that if i was using like putting stuff into a space if i'm using a reverb as a space nine times out of ten i agree with that which is what i'm doing nine times out of ten i will use uh, an effect send but if i'm using it for some kind of weird effect or i'm automating it or i just it's it's something that has its own space like we said yeah i'll put it right on the track computers are powerful enough now that i'm not too worried about chewing up cpu and i don't know i don't think it's as big a deal as it used to be yeah I think I pretty much 100% agree with you on your answer. So I, I don't have really too much to add other than I have a weird reason why I would okay. send to a send, an FX send instead of, um, or is it aux send in yeah. Pro Tools? Aux, is that yeah, what they call them? Yeah, aux bus or something. Yeah. In, in Studio One, they call them okay. FX sends. Yeah. So same difference. Um, that Valhalla, and I don't know if other reverbs or other plugins have this issue, but... It has a crosstalk issue. If you have the same plugin, I don't even think it has to be the same setting, but if you have the same plugin across yeah. multiple tracks, sometimes they will bleed into each other like a console really? does. I found that out in a weird in a weird context because I was trying to solo something and I'm like, where is the freaking reverb huh. co coming from? And it was crosstalking. From another track, so you, that think, I they, added you on think they do that on purpose? And no, I think it was probably like a. It was either a software error in my DAW or something that he patched out in the actual plugin itself. But I was able to I was able to fix it by putting it on an aux send and sending it that way, yeah. and it and it fixed the issue. But it. It broke my brain that trying to figure out what was wrong. And I don't yeah. think it was, yeah. And I, I don't think that that was a situation where I didn't understand how to use it. I think it just was literally like a software problem. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Fair enough. Oh, the other thing I'll say is when if you're doing cool, it, if, if well, you're using it as oh, an yeah. aux input or effects send, you want to set the plugin to 100% wet. Because you, you have the dry signal from the track. You yes, don't want the dry point. signal then to also be coming through the aux. Because it's going to mess with your levels. If your DAW is wonky, it could mess with like, um, you could get like weird phase issues and stuff like that. So keep all your effects sends 100% wet. Do you do anything with the um, the pre or post fader settings on your aux for, for reverbs? Or do you just keep it default? One of my pet tricks, I might edit this out <laughs> because this episode is long, but what I like to do is I like to send pre-fader to my reverb on vocals and then do this thing okay. where I automate the fader going down but the send going up. So the vocal is just fading like into the reverb sphere, but the volume is kind of staying the same. Interesting. Yeah, so that way when you're bringing down the level of the vocal, you're not exactly. sending less exactly. less signal to the reverb. And sometimes I've even done this where 
I will mute the track and just have a pre fade or send like on a background vocal. So it's like, you know, all you have is the wet signal, which is like putting, I guess, putting a, yeah. Do you, do you only do that on vocals or do you have that set up? No, I only really do that on vocals and it's really just for automation. In fact, sometimes I'll have two sends to the same reverb, one post fader, one pre fader, just so Mm. I can automate, you know, and do stuff like that. Sometimes I'll play around if I have strings in a session. Like I like to, I like to make strings sound like that they were recorded in a different place, because I I haven't put this together until just talking to you now. But I think most times when I think of like strings in a recording, even the listener knows that like, oh, these strings aren't part of the band. They hired <laughs> an orchestra in Abbey Road to record this. So I need to make it sound like it was recorded in a space that was specific. Because I even imagine in my head, like, okay, I see the band playing, and then the strings come in. I don't ever see the strings playing with the band. I imagine a completely different place. Okay. So I'll I'll take some time to think about, like, a room that actually sounds good with just the strings. Oh, wow. And I'll put them in that space. Yeah. Maybe I... I always think about reverb in that in that term of like I think that's really great like I love to think about reverb in terms of like what space are you putting it in I I almost never think about like is it is it too close does it need to go farther away like maybe well, I need I to know. think about that more but what makes the yeah, most sense no, to me I is space, space is, I think the space is good All right well we're still recording so good episode Ben I think <laughs> uh this is a topic that yes needs to be discussed more and um thanks for sending that thanks for sharing the article it was it was helpful i learned a lot i learned um, yeah, a couple man. of new terms and what else was oh yeah chamber i learned about a little bit about chamber reverbs that i i, I hadn't previously considered so yes thank you absolutely man i learned a ton from the article and from the discussion and just taking time to think through my reasoning for what I'm already yeah. already doing because so many times I'm just going, going, going. And it's nice to take a second to think about like, what is what does this actually mean? Like, what does it make sense what I'm doing? Do I need to change what I'm doing? And I feel like I've got a much greater appreciation for reverbs and what, what they can do for my sound. Great. So this was a lot of fun. Okay. Well then, until next time, the DIY Recording Guys reminding you to check yourself before you wreck yourself.